got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the war. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain, then it pours. Hi, and welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Podcast. And today we're going to be talking, we're going to be thinking like a shipper today, aren't we, Dooner? My name's Kevin Hill, here's Dooner. We're going to be thinking like a shipper. It's all going to be about the shipper's point of view. Are you ready to think like a shipper, Dooner? Well, Kevin Hill, this isn't just the Freight Sales Podcast. This is the Freight Sales Podcast for closers, a very select group of people. Our listeners, of course. Let's see, are we popping up? Here we are, we're up on LinkedIn too. So everybody who's joining us early, thank you for doing ABC. so. Just gonna share this out in a post. Yeah, we have Paul Estrada from Emerge today, but that's super exciting that we're having him on because he spent 12 years with Niagara bottling, reducing their freight spend, dealing with millions and millions of shipments, having to deal with tons of salespeople like many of you in the comments. Find out what he liked hearing and what he didn't like hearing. We're really going to try and pry that out of him. And also we're going to talk a bit about seeing things from the other side, thinking like a shipper, as Kevin said. Yes, definitely. We, we are going to be doing that. I talked to Paul yesterday. He's got some interesting stories. He's going to detail what freight brokers get wrong, what they get right whenever they're soliciting, when they're trying to get on bids, and, and really laying out the bid process from the shipper's point of view and what's most important to them. And that's uh, essential in sales, right? You have to find what's most important. What is the value prop for the shipper? So we're going to get into all of that with, with Paul in, here in a few minutes. Chris Seeds is here. He's with Bridge Logistics. He says, this topic took me back to King Louis. I want to be like you, song from the Jungle Book. I want to be like you, walk like you, talk like you, Mr. Shipper. Yeah, that's a good one. That's my rendition. Hope White's here. She's tuned in. Happy to see Hope. She likes to... Share a good reefer joke. She was reading the What the Truck newsletter. There's a reefer joke in there. Reefer driving yeah. joke. They just moved their first hemp shipment, by the way. Hope HD White Logistics. I talked to her on okay. radio. That's right. I talked to her on radio. It was, it was interesting to talk about because of all the regulatory issues that surround uh, hemp and moving that stuff. And, you know, we were talking on radio about moving across state lines and the danger in doing so and the risk, but the opportunity. It was a really insightful conversation. I'm probably going to replicate it on... Uh, Actually, maybe at one of our virtual events, I think she'll be talking to me there. We'll get to dive deeper into it because uh, that shouldn't just stay on radio. It was a good one. I know, right? It's, it's very interesting. Hip, hip moves, the, the regulatory aspects of that. And yeah, you did another What the Truck newsletter. You're getting that off the ground right now. How do people subscribe to that? Uh, you just go to freightways.com. I think it's slash newsletter or something. I don't know. Maybe I'll put a show link in these notes just because we talked about it. But we have a whole bunch of new newsletters coming out. The What the Truck is just a new one that I write. There might be a put that coffee down one in the future. There's going to be a lot more different verticals. We're trying, well. to go, we're trying to go a little bit more narrow, a little bit more niche and serve uh, different markets, different tastes and try to think like our customers and our customers. You know, they don't have to pay any money, but we still got to compete for eyeballs and opens. Yes, those eyeballs and opens and that, that engagement is very competitive space. So we have to always keep iterating, getting better, getting better, getting our sales pitch better, just like everyone out there listening right now. How about a little bad marketing? Yeah. Today, well, I, I feel like I'm calling out LinkedIn a lot, but here's another complaint. I hang out a lot on LinkedIn, and you see a lot of complaints. And this is one that I'm sure a lot of people can agree with. Tyler Robertson from Diesel Laptop, CEO over there, speaking of companies that are doing an excellent job 
and really bootstrapping. That's one of them. But he is talking about something you people may have seen, which is either zombie employees saying that they work for you or people who don't work for you saying they do. In his case, he has a guy named Nagayan Hung in Vietnam saying that he has Tyler's job. He's saying that he is, in fact, the CEO of Diesel Laptops. Now, why would Nagayan Hung do that? I don't know. Maybe to trick some suppliers overseas. I have no idea. But there's no way to amend that right now on LinkedIn. You can't just go in there and go, no, this guy doesn't work for me. I'm the controller of the company, which I think is kind of messed up. It is kind of messed up. I don't know why they haven't changed that yet. Uh, you know, to, to, to basically verify your company, have an owner or an administrator that runs that account, because this is, I, I'm, I'm surprised this doesn't happen. I don't see this more and more. Uh, it seems to be kind of rare right now, but I, I think with the popularity of LinkedIn and, and coming to its Coming into its own and and having these powerful new new additions, I think they're going to have to start really keeping an eye out for security because there's uh, there's opportunity for some really big scams to to, to come in to, to this space. Yeah, this year alone, especially this year, I'm noticing way more sales bots, way more political bots, which are probably controlled by overseas. I have no idea, and way more of this sort of uh, company squatting, like what uh, Nagayan Hung is doing. So. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, the thing that where you can tell you're the CEO of a company, that's really damaging. It can damage your brand. Who knows what, what this guy's going to post online? He could say anything. Who knows what he's saying to other people and why he is using your company's name? That would keep me up at night if I was a business owner every single night, as would a fake profile of uh, myself. You know, there should be some remedy for that. They really should. And I, I think LinkedIn, uh, that's probably one of the next steps that they really need to take because, uh, you know, th this is just a... You know, I, I'm sitting here looking at this post right now, CEO of Diesel Laptops, and, and and there's just so much fraud that you can do with that if you allow people to to replicate and, and kind of run scams on, on your platform. It, it, it could be a, a real beater. Chris Seed says, beautiful rendition. He liked my Jungle Book song. Uh, Catherine Whitehouse says, so have I. Uh, oh, I think she's been noticing more and more of these profiles. Aaron Dunn said he's digging that money back background. He likes when you make it rain, Kevin. And uh, Chris Jolly says, make happy it rain. Wins. Chris Jolly says, happy Wednesday, everyone. And Kenneth Carthers says, I'm ready to learn, guys. Let's get the learning started. And we'll start it with a sales hot tip. Yeah. Roast some marshmallows on this hot tip, baby. This one is about, so this show is about perspective, seeing it from the other side. But the first thing sometimes you have to do is understand your own perspective and your own narrative, right? And a lot of times we'll think we understand a simple concept. Maybe it's about freight, maybe it's about something. But then we go to do some content marketing or we go to write an email or a blog and you realize that, you know what, we have maybe a subconscious understanding and an untethered understanding in our mind, but actually explaining stuff in a real 101 way that is current, that is mindful of an audience is a lot more difficult than what's in our brain. Now, as a salesperson, it doesn't matter if you're doing content marketing or not, because you have to get that narrative out. You have to get that out to salespeople. And a post that caught my eyes was by Justin Welsh, which was just talking about writing and writing often. And the reason I keyed in on this is that a lot of times in sales, we use templates, right? We make one template. Who knows how long ago we made it? And this can either be for a pitch deck or an email that we're sending out. And we ourselves haven't even read it in forever. It goes out and we're just blind to it because it's in front of us so much. So what my challenge to salespeople out there is write a little bit more. Maybe try to do a blog a week. Try to do some content marketing. Write a little bit more when you're doing emails and take it out of the template. Take the things you think you know about what you're trying to sell and try to explain them in written form. 
and that is much harder than, than, than we all think. It really is. So I, I write a lot of research here at Freight Waves, and that's for industry professionals. And, you know, there, there's, uh, the, there's a way to do that. There's a method of explaining uh, our research to people within the industry. And then I do a blog post every week uh, for the Sonar blog. And that, that's more of a Freight 101 or Sales 101. Uh, you know, my cold emailing tips or, you know, how to drive value in sales and to be able to sit down and and write a very concrete uh, blog post that anyone within or without or outside of the industry can, can really understand and get value from. Uh, it takes it takes a lot because a lot, there's a lot that, that we take for granted. And within your own company, there's there'll be a lot that you take for granted. Like, oh, of course, everybody knows that. I'd live this day in and day out. Uh, but to outsiders, it's a you, you have to communicate that in, in, in a way that it takes a lot of practice uh, in writing and, and also pitching, actually, to, to really have a very clear and concise message. Yeah, I have to. I, I agree, hundred percent. That so that's our hot tip for the week. Write and write more. Do it often, even if you don't publish it. Write it. Challenge yourself to really understand the concepts and to start out. Just key in on the things that you are trying to sell. Make sure you understand them and make sure you understand them for a shipper's perspective. And that's what this show is all about. That leads us into my quote that I picked of the week. It is, and maybe you guys can guess in the comments who this came from. What I told you was true from a certain point of view. You're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Who was it? Who was it? Three, two, one. It was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. That's who it was. Yeah. Obi-Wan, and it was it's still one of the most confusing quotes from from that movie. You know, it's it's your opinion, maybe, you know. It's not facts or facts, right? There's only I, I guess there's more than one point of view for for facts. I, I guess you can make that case, but it still confuses me to this day. You know, if you ignore what the Empire did to Alderaan, you know, like, were they that bad? They were just trying to bring order to the galaxy, you know. I know, right? They're, they're <laughs> the, 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 the galaxy's policemen. You know, that they always get a bad rap, I think. All right, so let's get into the main topic. So shipper's point of view. So here's, like, a shipper, and we're going to talk to one today. We, we captured one, right? We got him in our Pokeball. We're going to deploy him at 1225. But here, here's how a regular sales call usually goes. This is what a shipper usually hears. Nope, sorry, that's me cursing because I haven't answered yet. <laughs> Hello, would you like to play a game? Right? They think you're Jigsaw. They think you're trying to tie him up and put him in a room and have you like have to dig a key out of their stomach to unlock themselves. They don't want to hear from you. So you got to figure out what they want. And that's what we're going to look into today. It is. They don't want to hear from you. You know, who wants to hear from a salesperson? Even salespeople don't want to hear from other salespeople, and especially cold calling. And you never know what you're going to get. And a lot of times it is like jigsaw. It's, it's going to be a painful process of someone reading off a script or having scripted materials, pitching you something that you may or may not be interested in, but you don't really want to, to pay attention to it right now. We always want to delay those buying decisions, and and we're the same as our, our prospects, our shippers, whether it's freight brokers, whatever it is. We want to delay the pain and buying something. We want the pleasure all up front, but the pain and buying something we want to delay, and and that's what you're going to find on the phone all the time. Benjamin Kowalski he says, understanding your customer and putting yourself in their shoes are the first steps to empathy, the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Emotions drive our decision making. And what better way you do empathize with those who are seeking to serve? That's how you establish true value over rates. What do you think? That's exactly right. You know, empathy, you have to put yourself into their shoes. 
why do they want to buy? I mean, what pain points can you really solve? And going out and, and, and solving that, I, and my analogy is all the time to so be a great waiter. A get, great salesperson is like a great waiter. They know what their guests or what the diners want before they do. They know what they want to eat before they do. And they ask really good questions, really good waiters or waitresses, right? Ask really good questions. You know, what are you in the mood for? You know, what do you like? You know, this is why I recommend. And I, I can get sold any plate in a, in, in a restaurant. I used to work for a shipper, Talbot's Import LLC. They did the customs brokerage for Talbot's, and we worked out of Talbot's main office. And I can tell you from a shipper's main concern, it was nothing like what my concerns were when I was with FedEx Trade Networks beforehand. Their concerns were a lot more based in overseas warehouse compliance because recently there had been a scandal, not with Talbot's, but I believe it was with Nike, with uh, using um, exploiting workers in factories. So like their big initiative in picking partners, picking factories, and, uh, and moving freight, overseas freight, the global trade side, was completely based in compliance. That was always the leading foot. How can you aid us in this so we don't end up as a headline in a publication? You know, and understanding that would have helped a lot of people in selling to them better. But a lot of the calls we filled were still people like, hey, can, can we move your freight? Like they took, they took no time or effort to really understand the struggles or the challenges that are inherent within the fashion industry. And the reasons they, they may not know, right? They're ignorant to that. And part of gaining perspective is doing the research and doing some reverse engineering of the process. Where are they standing from and what are they looking at? You have to get into that lane of dialogue in order to really resonate and communicate well. You do. You you have to know their business better than they know their business, and certainly their industry. You really have to, if you're going to go into to retail clothing and move loads for them, you have to know retail clothing in and out, right? I mean, and then it's just uh, the simple laws of sales. You have to know the industry better because you're the expert. People are going to buy from you because you're the expert. You're bringing something to the table, and part of that is getting those hidden value or hidden challenges and pain points that aren't aren't obvious, number one, but your, your customer or your shipper might not even know. They might not be able to articulate them. They, they might not be able to tell you. You have to dig around and find that. And that's one, one side of that is having great questions. Another side of that is, is the empathy uh, and, and figuring out their industry and the, the pain points that they have so you can ask the good questions to get to the point where, you know, Talbot's greatest fear is ending up in a scandal and, and child labor. Yeah. And, and, and that and, drives all the decisions. Oh, oh, yeah, of course it does. And, you know, that would be a big thing, too. When you booked a partner, it'd be like, well, where are they uh, on this aspect of compliance or how are they going to get over here? It wasn't as rate driven, but I will say like the inland freight, that's a little bit different of a story where compliance does not necessarily matter as much as what they are trying to protect overseas, you know, and that, that there, that's the difference in understanding and, and the difference in knowing what you are selling. But in order to do that, you have to get into their headspace. And one of the best ways to do that is using the site many of you are on right now is LinkedIn. And that's following people who work for, depending on whatever industry you target, if you want to target fashion, follow some procurement or supply chain people who work in that, see what kind of conversations they have are having, what kind of publications they are sharing, what kind of articles they are reading, and start to absorb that dialogue and that language. You can speak to them back in it. And you can also use that as catalyst. You know, if you read something in a trade publication that's affecting their industry, that is a catalyst point of view. You can bring that to them and say, hey, I just read this about your industry. Here's, here's a great solution we have that can really clean 
clean up this headache. But again, you have to be in solution-based selling to think that way. And that's one of the first steps. And I think one thing about today's episode is this is one of the ones where we're going to ask you to do more heavier lifting than usual, because this is going to take a lot of research and it's going to take a lot of effort on the salesperson's job. And most people aren't going to do it. Most people aren't. I mean, that's a fact of life, right? Most people aren't. But there's, it's one of the reasons why it's so important to pick a niche because you can't cover everything, right? You know, analysts at investment banks cover one industry, the transportation guys. Uh, there's, there's people who cover only truckload. There's ones at LTL, air. You know, you have different analysts because you have to go so deep in the weeds. On this, you have to pick one thing and be really good at it. So, because if you're you're trying to sell to, to five or six different industries, and it's all about can I move your freight? It's going to be transactional, and you're going to live that horrible transactional lifestyle forever. Pick a niche. If it's retail apparel, you can pick that, and you can read every trade publication. You can get obsessed with it, and you can learn that space better than your customers, which will generate sales. If you're trying to do it for five or six different, uh, or whoever you're on the phone with at that, that point, um, you know, your, your leads are from 10 different industries and whoever you can get on your phone, you're going to get on the phone and, and, and fake it. Uh, it's going to be a, a very tough transactional life for you. Jason Dockney, he says, the ability to gain understanding, confirm what you heard. Yeah, and that's almost like the, the beginning point we talked to, confirming what you heard. A lot of times you can do that by studying this stuff, but then also having to write it back, you know, to really confirm also to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but also sort of doing that interview I, process. Because what I'm talking about here, like when I'm, when I'm mentioning Talbots, the big concern was, yeah, child labor is a, 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 a thing, right? But what it really is, is a risk. And every supply chain, every shipper mm -hmm. has risks inherent in their supply chain. You know, sometimes I think salespeople reverse to risk because they look at it as a challenge where instead change your focus to think of it as a solution and an opportunity. The Your goal, though, is to figure out what those risks are and how you can create inquiries to get into those to figure out what those solutions may be to to do that. And part of it is having that empathy we talked about earlier, which is acknowledging their concerns, you know, go over your response, getting those questions and doing that discovery into what those problems really are and what they may be. Yeah, so, uh, Tuna, are you telling me that 2020, we, we figured out that <laughs> supply chains have risks? You know, there's tons, it's, it's, right? It's, 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 but yeah, no, risk is opportunity, right? I mean, you are de-risking. And part of your job to sell anything, whether it's an iPhone or a book or, or anything, you're de-risking. And the more you can de-risk the, the sell, and Joe and I, Joe Lynch and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, the, the FUD, and as part of the Dirty Tricks game, is, is fear, uncertainty, and and doubt, right? Those are the risks uh, of, of anything. Your job is to, in life is to, to de-risk everything for somebody else. That's how you build value. Risks also allow you to ask easy, open-ended questions, like, right? If they go, yeah. okay, this is a problem, that's a problem. It allows you to do more probing, to dive deeper. Oh, well, when did you run up against this risk before? What happened? What was the challenge you faced? From there, you can you can do some building, right? You can go, okay, yeah, you know, our company's dealt with that before, and it's part of our process now to do this, that, and the other thing to get you beyond that. But the thing is, you also have to be authentic. You know, if you can't solve someone's risk, don't make up that you're going to solve their risk because you're going to be transactional. You're going to lose a customer very quickly, and you get some bad word of mouth in the process. You are. That's, that's a big opportunity cost, trying to do things that you can't do. Right. You are wasting your time, their time, you know, your, you, your time, your resources, their resources. You're going to get some negative publicity. You're going to get bad word of mouth, uh, as you just said, Tuner. So those are, are issues. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Do what you do. 
really well. And that's, that's another reason why it's always good to pick a niche because you can get really good at one thing. Getting good at five different things or five different industries is is a tough task that that one person can't do. Don't take and it, oftentimes one company can't do. Don't take it from us, though. Take it from Bradley Jacobs from XBO, right? He was at the first live event that we went to for Freight Waves, Transparency 19. He did this great um, open question town in a hall right there in Atlanta. And one of the things someone asked him was, like, wow, you must hate the price volatility. And he said, of course I don't. Volatility creates opportunity, right? Because risk creates opportunity. That risk of paying too much, you know, that risk of not being able to find capacity, that risk every time that fluctuates, every time you look in Sonar or you look in truckstop.com and that rate goes up or down, somebody else on the other end of that transaction, especially when there's a big, a big change in those rates, they're on one or the other end of it, right? And they may be either looking for new partners or getting out of relationships with old partners. And there can be your entry point. Again, always look for these risks. Yeah, I know you've heard of this. I, most of our audience have heard of this too, right? The, the two two biggest signals or, or reasons why people buy, right? And, and it can boil down to fear or greed. And risk is, is part of both of those, fear and greed. That is another name for that is risk. But that, that's the the the, the, the two core principles of, of why people buy. Uh, and so actually target those fear and fear and greed. You know, we have done some interesting subjects on the show. We've done role playing. We've done improv. Well, here's a tool for your toolkit. How about a little method acting? How about taking yourself through a potential customer's journey? How about you going a little bit undercover? You yourself pretending to be a customer calling your company. See how long you wait on hold, right? Try to fill out an order form on your website. Try to book a load through your website, Right. Email someone other than yourself, a customer service rep, see how long it takes them to reply. And think of it from the frame of view, right? The frame of view of that niche you picked, whether it's that clothing shipper, whether it's a, a Niagara bottling, whoever it is, take that journey from their perspective, right? Once you've done that research, then take the journey through your own process. Yeah, so I mean, definitely put yourself be the shipper, act like it's acting, right? You have to, to be your customer. You have, you have to be really diligent about that because if you don't, you are going to, to continue uh, you know, uh, talking about what you value and, and not the shipper. So it's, it's, it's really interesting, and you should audit definitely your customer service, every part of your organization. And if you can't control that part of the organization, if you can't build your, your company's new website or you don't really have any control over that, you need to figure out how to minimize your risk of, of your customer or a shipper coming on and, and having a bad experience. And I'm not really sure. It's a situa situational base. Uh, but, but you have to think about that. You have to minimize your risks as well. You know, according to Nate Patel, 81% of companies who provide great customer experiences and customer satisfaction do better than their competitors. That's how important that customer journey is, Kevin. It is, you know, I mean, it's, it's all about, and, and that's part of this is the, the FUD, right? You know, customer experience goes into the FUD, the, the, the fear, uncertainty, and, and, and doubt. And the more you introduce of that, and it doesn't take a lot to, to sideline a deal, the more you introduce of that, the, the harder your life becomes just, just, by, just by the nature of, of the world. Rob Busey says, make sure you know what your carriers will do for you. What you want to do has to be able to be executed by your carriers as a broker. Right. As a broker, if you're matching partners, if you're matching shipper with carrier and you are the person in the middle, you're the one who's going to get all the blame for that. So make sure you choose the right partners on both sides. 
Yes, you know, I, I, part, part of your service as a brokerage is to get well-qualified carriers who do a great job. If you are failing on that, that business isn't going to be around. I mean, that's that that's what you do. I mean, that's 99% of what a brokerage do, does is get a truck to show up on time, deliver on time, and have nothing happen in between. So if, if you aren't doing that, you um, I don't even know how you're going to survive. Here's another way to gain perspective, and I do this. I was actually doing the math, Kevin. I was like, man, you know, between all the shows that that I do here at Freeways, I've probably interviewed a lot of people. And I was doing the math, and it, it's something like, jeez, uh, over 54 people a month. It was around like 54, 55 people a month with virtual events. And the interesting thing about interviewing people is you get a lot of information. And that's my other challenge to people out there. Treat your sales calls, your discovery calls, right? Treat them like interviews. Just interview the customer about their job, their experience, their supply chain. Don't try to pitch your product. Don't try and throw features. Try to figure out what makes them tick. And I know we give this advice a lot, but frame it that way. Think of it like you're doing an interview. Let's try and one more. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Oh, come on, Paul. All right, Kevin, just talk for a minute here. I'm going to send him a text message. I'll tell him to call me on this line. Okay, I, I will do that. I wasn't quite sure how, how long to talk uh, to, to, to stall mm. there. Here, here's another stat. You know, there, there's some crazy Kevin, stats you don't give away the magician's always... secrets. What are you talking about stall? You oh, weren't stalling. You, you were giving out amazing information to the viewers <laughs> of this show. You weren't stalling. Come on, Kevin Hill. What's up, I, Paul? I'm, I'm here saying ask really good questions, and all I'm doing is rambling <laughs> because I, I'm trying to think of things to say. Oh, you already know what to say. Don't think about it, Kevin. You already know. It's already inside that brain of yours. Paul Estrada, what's up, my man? Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? <laughs> what's going on, dude? We, uh, we're glad we got connected. Uh, we were on your voicemail. Kevin was trying Kevin was trying to run the tape, as we called it, the business. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I have to be, uh, I have to really watch my dials. You know, as a, as a former shipper, we just constantly getting phone calls. So I have to really uh, watch closely. So, uh, but uh, thanks for the text and I'm happy to be on with you guys. I don't blame you. I would send myself uh, directly to, to voicemail too. Yeah. Uh, so I wait, I don't have my elevator pitch button loaded up, but you know what? We're 30 seconds. Just give a quick elevator pitch on, on who Palestrada is and what you do. Yeah, so I work for Emerge. It's a logistics marketplace that's focused on developing a procurement flat platform, including a light CMS, a spot market functionality, and uh, RFP bid platform built specifically for the logistics industry to run your annual ad hoc or mini bids. Uh, the great thing is these products are absolutely free to use, and they're intended to drive density into a marketplace that allow carriers and shippers to match on best lane options for both parties. Ooh, nice. And you have a, you know, this is a show on shippers perspectives and you have a lot of experience in doing so, spending one over 12 years with Niagara bottling. What does, uh, what does one do in your position that you had over at Niagara? I, I oversaw the, uh, the logistics procurement department, uh, which was the full delivered transportation. Uh, we had a lot of uh, raw material deliveries that we called internal transfers, LTL, ocean, rail, um, and warehousing uh, purchasing. Were you doing mostly a truckload in your procurement position, Paul? Oh, yeah. 99.9% was full truckload. Okay. Very good. So uh, let's start with the bidding process. I'd like to pick your brain about the bidding process from the shipper's point of view, right? Because it always seems 
you're, you're getting this experience right now. We were talking yesterday, uh, being at Emerge. It's sometimes it's a black box or it's a, a castle that you can't really scale the gates, and it, it's hard to to get inside a shipper's thought process, and and they they differ from 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 shipper to shipper as well, industry to industry. Uh, what what were the the processes uh, from from your point of view as a shipper in the bidding process? Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting. It really depends on the market cycle. Um, you know, you, you kind of hear as you're listening throughout the industry, some saying, well, "I don't believe in the bidding process because you know my routing guide's failing." But if you ask that same question in 2019, say, "I love the bidding process. My tender acceptance at 95 percent plus, and you now I'm going to keep continuing this process." I think the reality is for most shippers, especially, you know, enterprise level shippers um, that have big transportation spends, it's a big line item in the budgeting process. And so it's really important to have a bid to understand how you're going to forecast your spend for the upcoming year. Uh, And so that bidding process is really critical, no matter what the market conditions are, to better understand and get a feel for where that market is headed. Obviously, you can look at third party indices to kind of give you a general sense, but you have to look at the specific nuances within your business uh, to understand, it, you know, if the market is saying it's going to be a 10% swing in rates, how is that specific for me? Is that going to be 4 or 5% or is it going to be 12 or 13%? So that bidding process is important uh, no matter what, what part of the market cycle you're in. Now, Paul, managing a company the size and scope of Niagara's freight, what kind of risks and problems kept you up at night? What kind of dialogue that if someone came to you at Solutions with, you're like, thank you, you just made my job easier. You know, what that a broker could bring to you. What, what were those challenges? I mean, you're looking for sustainable solutions. I think, you know, when you're talking about an asset type provider, um, there, it's a cost-based model, right? So um, you typically the rates wouldn't swing as much, whereas a broker is more so playing in the market. And that could be a good or a bad thing, again, depending on, on what cycle of the market you're in. And so that, but that just means that your budget and your rates could swing violently in one direction or the other, depending on, on what part of the market, market cycle you're in. If I were going through the bidding process right now, obviously there's a lot of concern about how much my rates are likely to go up um, and by how much. Because again, depending on the size of what that is to your overall business, it could have a big impact on the bottom line for your organization. And you know, I, I think back 2018, and there were a lot of individuals that seemed like in positions similar to mine that were um, you know, losing their jobs, or there was a lot of people from the C-suite that were, you know, never really paid attention to the transportation spend. And now all of a sudden, they're asking a lot of questions. And in 2019, we look like superheroes. And, uh, you know, you kind of go through those ebbs and flows. And I think, you know, for a lot of people in my um, position, it, it's, it's keeping you up and I thinking, well, you know, how is this bid going to play out? And how am I going to answer the tough questions? You know, if indeed the pricing is going to sustain at these uh, elevated levels. So it's really just rate based like that. That was your biggest problem and risk was was the up and down flow of the cost. There wasn't there weren't other risks outside of that that maybe solutions could address. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always uh, a degree of, of you, you have to look at the service component, certainly. Um, and, you know, that that plays into it. But I, I think, um, you know, if I had a way, I'd say it's probably you know, 60 or 70 percent. Um, pricing related versus the balancing service. I think the reality is if you have the right partners, you're going to get the service that you need uh, regardless of the market cycle. And so that, that was a pretty static or, or fixed component. Well, that's the interesting part. You, 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 or a portion of that is that you were talking about your partners, right? 
And how much do you rely on your partners, which would be carriers and 3PLs, freight brokerages, on informing you about the market or, or guiding uh, you know, guiding your decision-making a little bit, depending on their, their expertise? You know, how reliant or how important is, is their advice? Um, their, their advice plays a role into it. I'd say there's just so many good third-party indices out there. Everybody's more or less looking at the same type of tools. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're going to freight waves daily, or if you're going to any other publication, you can get a pretty good pulse of what's happening in the market. Um, so for, I'd say for the most part, relied. obviously you're having those conversations, but some of that could be posturing, right? Like, well, I think, you know, this is going to be a lighter market, or I think you know, the carriers say this, no, it's going to be a tougher market. And that's kind of your, your prequel into the negotiation, so to speak. Um, but it's important that, you know, for a good negotiation on the shipper's behalf that you've done your due diligence and you have made your assessment of where you think the market is headed prior to any negotiation. You know, Calvin Sachs, he has a question for you. He said, I'm looking forward to Paul's perspective. With so many freight broker sales reps calling every day, what are the questions or statements that will get Paul to listen to the rep? And this is the code that I think every salesperson wants to crack. But what, really question. what worked for you? Yeah. What was like, you know what? I'm not going to hang up right away. I'll give this guy the 15 minute meeting or I'll, you know, I'll let him do his pitch. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't joking when I said I, you know, I really got into a, a cycle of screening my calls because unfortunately it had gotten to a point um, where, you know, every other phone call I was picking up was, was uh, a broker. And, um, you know, I, you talk to other people in the industry. I, I remember pretty vaguely a guy recorded, he had been on vacation for two weeks and he, videoed himself listening to his voicemails and there were maybe a dozen or, you know, 20 uh, different calls of solicitations from brokers. And he just said, look, just to kind of really hit the point home that we're, we're constantly getting uh, solicitations. And so it's, it's really difficult. So, you know, via phone call, I, I personally don't think is the best method. I think, you know, going the email route is, is likely a better start and just kind of being, you know, respectful of, uh, the shipper's time, understanding that they're getting, if you're an enterprise level shipper, likely getting hundreds of solicitations um, a year. And again, depending on the, on the, the market cycle, if it's a really soft market, you know, maybe throw that number up to a thousand. Whereas if it's a tighter market, maybe it's just a couple hundred. So it's really difficult. We do our best to uh, be respectful and respond to as many people as we can, but um, it can be really difficult when you're getting that many um, response or that many people reaching out to you. So I, I, I personally prefer the email uh, method. And, you know, for me, you know, starting with the basics, um, just getting the name of the, the organization, right. I, I can't tell you how many times I received, you know, in the <laughs> subject line where they didn't even spell the name of, of our organization correctly. Um, you know, things like not looking at um, the doing their due diligence, on you know the website or any other things that you could find online. Where are these people's manufacturing facilities? Who are their customers? What industry are they in? I think being able to do some due diligence up front and as you're putting an email together, demonstrating that you've done some research behind that organization. And I think more importantly, once you've done that research, how can you then tailor your service offering to best suit that individual shipper? Because I think a lot of times you see a lot of email blasts, right? And they're, they're pretty obvious to spot out. You've got uh, where it's, um, you've got this paragraph and maybe, you know, my name was in a different color than the font of the paragraph. And, it, you know, that was kind of a, 
find that, okay, you, you've been copying and pasting people's names and, and sending that out. Um, so kind of knowing that you've taken time to draft an email, uh, tailored specifically for me, um, or, you know, for a shipper, uh, I think is a huge uh, first step. So, so Paul, uh, talking about emails, what's, what's something a freight broker can do to, to stand out from the crowd, especially with an email? You know, I mean, what information do they need to do? Probably not talk about themselves. would probably be a good first step. And do you think it's more uh, about doing something extraordinarily well uh, with the email? Or is it more of avoiding all the bad mistakes that, that you just mentioned and getting your timing right to where you have a pain point right there today maybe you're upset with another partner or you need to make a change is it more about you know avoiding the bad mistakes and timing or is it something else something that 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 takes that that email over the over the line and and makes it worth reaching out and, and scheduling a meeting Some, sometimes it definitely is all about timing um you know to your point right you're just having a particularly day where uh, one of your shippers maybe, you know, or one of your carriers dropped a couple loads and, you know, you need to get somebody in quickly. So, I mean, that certainly happens from time to time. Uh, but like going back to what I was saying was if, if you can demonstrate some due diligence, so let's say you go onto a load board and you are somehow able to say, okay, I know where this shipper's manufacturing facility is. So I, you know, I know that doesn't actually have the shipper's names on there, but you can kind of guess, right. This is, they ship out of these geographies. And so I'm, I'm, pretty sure that this is this shipper's freight and you can maybe say hey you know what they i've been watching them for the last 10 days and they constantly have a couple loads going from point a to point b so as i put my my email together i'm going to say hey you know i, I noticed i've been kind of on the boards and uh, i see that a couple of your loads from are going to spot on this lane this lane you know they're posting it uh, i'm seeing the rates around this price point you know i think i could be somewhere in this area and here's why right not just I'm going to undercut the market, but maybe that happens to be a lane that's a, a power lane for you, or it's a backhaul lane, or you just got a really good density there um, that says, "Hey, like here's where the market rate's at." I see this posted on the load boards. I can actually do slightly better than that, and and so you've kind of done the homework ahead of time, and you're offering an immediate solution to the shipper that not certainly going to catch their eye. Now they still may not respond, but I guarantee you, it's going to definitely raise some interest and. In, Wow, this this person has really done some due diligence. It's interesting, and you know, I'm going to read through um, the the email communication. Hey, Paul, let me ask you something. When you when you get that email, do you like? Uh, how do you feel about Calendly links? They're kind of controversial. There's some people. I mean, it's just as controversial as the phone versus email thing. Some people hate them. I personally like when I get them because I I don't like the anxiety of having to go back and forth to book meetings with people. If you send me a Calendly link and there's a time there that makes sense, I will book it. But I don't. And if there isn't, I don't even have to reply. I prefer it, but some. But I understand that some people don't. What has your experience been? I I actually just got exposure to that. I from what I've seen, I'm, I'm actually a pretty big fan of, of it. Um, to your point, limiting the amount of connections back and forth, being respectful of that shipper's time. Um, and so that it can just kind of do it on their own without saying, Hey, here's three times that worked for me. I, I think it's a great concept. I haven't seen it used much just yet, but I think for those that are on the forefront of that, I think it makes a lot of sense. Kevin, do you like them? I've heard some people on LinkedIn get like, kind of butthurt about them. They're like, you don't tell me what time that you can get booked. And it's like, dude, we're just trying. I'm j it's just trying to make things yeah. more convenient. 
I, I love them. I've, I've used them for years with it with careless and it's the most convenient thing because I, I don't know how many deals and as a freight broker and then careless or how many, I want to say deals, but how many meetings uh, that just never happen because we keep on going back and forth. I can't see your calendar. You can't see mine. You, you know, how many email messages are we going to trade before we realize that we just need to pick a time. So I'll just throw out my calendar. I mean, there it is. You can pick up any time you want. And I, I just find it's a very smooth, easy, easy thing to do. And I'm sure that, that, that Paul's using one uh, now over at our merch. Oh, hey, my boy, Joss Ramis, he's got a question for you, Paul. He says, has any broker done something different from cold calling and emails that has been effective? I remember one time Kevin and I had a guest on where a guy shot a commercial yep. for, for Kraft and uh, how much of a fan he was of Heinz, or was it Heinz? Kraft Heinz, Heinz Ketchup. Um, has anyone done anything yeah. really interesting to you? Singing Telegram, I don't know, showed up nude at a bar? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, seen, I've seen some of those different types of things. I think that this whole push for you know people doing these video messages and getting a little bit creative for it i think you kind of you have to know your audience a little bit right i think um if you know that individual maybe you, you know you looked at their linkedin profile and you said oh, this person's into you know michigan football or dodger baseball or whatever maybe you can kind of gear something a little bit towards that uh, but yeah those videos i think are a little bit interesting certainly breaks up the monotony in the day i don't know that it would lead to a response, but I think again, I think it's something that that's interesting and, and worth exploring further as a unique way to um, try to you know get a a um, shipper's attention. So I think I'm on the fence about it, but I, I kind of like like it you know, generally speaking. Yeah, if you do well, you you might not get the callback, but you do get remembered, and that's what Tyler uh, Hildebrand, who uh, who was on this past episode. Uh, you, you know, really drove into me. Uh, you know, as we as we talked to him, is that it still gets played months later. I mean, people still, people always remember who he is. So that, that next turn that, that next bid cycle, uh, he's, he's one step closer and talking about bid cycles, uh, Paul, for a new partner, especially a brokerage to, to get into to most shippers. And we, we can use your, you know, Niagara and your past experience, uh, but, but other shippers as well. Uh, you know, is that a, a one shot deal is, is, you know, you start a conversation and then you get invited into the bid and you get awarded uh, quite, quite a bit of business. Or is that like a, a two, three year cycle? And, and what should what should salespeople and freight brokers expect from that? Yeah, I think you have to know when that, that bid cycle is occurring. You know, I think what, what, what you sh- probably should be doing is getting at least one or two lanes. Something started before the bid. I think if you wait to just kind of be introduced into the bid environment, you know, as a procurement team, you're going through and not you're looking at the rates, but then it, let's say you've got an incumbent at a rate and you've got an outsider um, that you're not as familiar with at the same rate. I think, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to use your incumbent. So if you can get in with that shipper ahead of time, um, get some working history with them, understand their, their operational SOPs and how they go about their business, that gives the, the, shipper a little bit more comfort when they go into the awarding process that, okay, I'm I'm somewhat familiar um, with this carrier. And so I'm willing to kind of gamble a little bit, right? The reality is that when you're going into this, uh, these types of bids, you're, you're, and I use the word gambling, but in a sense, that's what you're doing uh, with, with some of these non-incumbent type providers where you're not sure what is their tender acceptance going to be? What is their on-time delivery going to be? And that's something that we're trying to focus on with the, with the Emerge platform is, 
how do we get to a place where a shipper can run an annual bid and, and there can be carriers introduced into their network, into the, the shipper network that they may not be familiar with, but there's a universal scorecard in place that, um, they can, that they can use and say, well, I don't have any background with this carrier, but I've got this scorecard that I can lean on. And that gives me a little bit more comfort to go ahead and award this carrier more freight. But there's certainly always this balancing act where you've got non-incumbents that maybe don't know the, the operational nuances of the business. They don't know that, you know, the, the load times, the unload times, the, you know, maybe there's a driver assist element to that. Um, and so they may come in and undercut your, your, your incumbent carriers, not understanding those nuances. They get into the business for, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months and they go, Oh boy, this isn't, you know, this isn't what I anticipated this freight to be. And then there's really difficult conversations around either them not servicing it or asking for rate increases. And there's just not, not a, a whole lot of sustainability there. So there has to be that working history up front um, to, to make sure that you have a successful bid and you don't have that routing guide churn that have, I mean, that, that bidding process takes so long to complete. Um, but if you, so you really want to make sure the partners that you're selecting um, are able to actually service the business. So why, one of the things that's, that always struck me when I was with a 4PL and we did a lot of RFPs when I was there was um, how much of a mess shippers data was and how little they cared that it was a mess. Like we would get CSVs all the time and it's like <laughs> none of this data makes any sense. Like that you did not have a hundred thousand yeah. truckloads going to this small warehouse in Kenosha. Like you're a $2 million company. Like this just did not happen. So why do you think that is? Is it just the process at a lot of, a lot of shippers? They just think it's sort of the, the broker's job to manage that for them. Uh, Cause it, it it was it was very repetitive, and I'm not going to say it was across the board, but it was a lot of shippers. That it was just a mess. It's a great question, and that's kind of the gap that Emerge is trying to solve right now. Is how do we help shippers with the forecasting process? Because the reality is the the bids broken up into three phases. You got you should have your forecasting process, you should have the actual bid event itself, and then you should have your optimization and awarding. Right? I think to your point. A lot of shippers are, are not spending as much time doing their due diligence on step one, which is that forecasting piece. What's challenging about the forecasting piece is it's, it's highly dependent on consumer behavior. And so you can hire all the data scientists and analysts that you want and have your working history and, and do your very best to get that right. But I mean, obviously, this is an extreme example, but nobody uh, planned for coronavirus, right? And, and, and the stocking reshelf events like that, but there's always those different types of events that are occurring, whether it's hurric- you know, natural disasters, hurricanes, things of that nature that cert- that just can't be planned for. Um, so I think, you know, for the most part, shippers do their best to get that right. I, we certainly understood the importance of trying to dial that in as best as you can. The more you could commit that freight and the carrier could um, do so knowing there's an extremely high likelihood I'm going to actually see this freight. Um, the better off both parties would be. But I guess just to kind of sum it up, the forecasting process is so extremely challenging. Uh, I do think that shippers should be spending more time on it, but uh, it's still a very, very uh, uh, difficult science to try to figure out. There's nothing so amazing than, than getting a, a spreadsheet uh, that, that has 20 different tabs on it and 400 different lanes, and you're just sitting there for half an hour just trying to figure out what you're even looking at uh, sometimes. So it's always a, a great experience. I have a question, Paul. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. And on a shipper's point of view, the, the brand or the company name, 
has very little to do, especially on the freight broker side. It's all about the salesperson. Can you go explain that to our audience a little bit? Yeah, I cannot stress that enough. So there's been just so many times, you know, having done this for a decade plus where, you know, you start start to build these strong relationships and those individuals may leave their respective organization and service completely changes. And And you quickly realize that, you know, that individual was really your voice within their organization. And when that person left, it was really difficult to backfill and, and you saw just a service dip and sometimes every once in a while a carrier could get it right and there would be a smooth transi- transition. But more often than not, it was really difficult um, trying to bring in that new rep. Um, and so the way we looked at it was that rep, that broker rep is really an extension of our supply chain and we should treat them as an employee. They should understand our business as much as they understand their own business, because that's where the really interesting things around pricing, sustainable pricing, right? You you look at where rates go and know that, well, yes, rates are headed up or down, but there's also operational nuances that can help build sustainable pricing that if, if that carrier rep understands the nuances of the business, they can help be a consultant in a way that helps drive down pricing for the shipper, right? Sustainable pricing reduction. So having that longevity um, to understanding that shipper's business is key. Uh, and oftentimes you'll see, you know, if a rep moves from one organization to another, they're not really signing up with that new broker or carrier, so to speak. It's just, I believe strongly in this individual. And so therefore, you know, I want to keep working with that person. So you're putting a lot of value on having that internal advocate within, within a brokerage, within your partners. How do sales reps communicate to you that they will be that advocate? And I know a lot of it's action, but how do they get to that point where they can actually be in action to, to be that internal advocate? I was, I was thinking about that this morning. Um, I had a feeling that question was going to come up. I, that's one thing I honestly have a really difficult time answering. I, I don't know because I haven't seen many brokers find a great way to do that. And to your point, it's really difficult. How, how do you demonstrate that without any sort of working history? So unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for that. Maybe somebody in the uh, comments section does, <laughs> no. but that's a tough one. No, it's good that you don't because it's almost like that question of like, if you go up to a girl, uh, you know, and you go, what's the best pickup line someone could say to you at a bar? It's like, well, I don't know. It all depends on the delivery and the person saying it, right? Right. Yeah. It could be. And, and I was just going back to what you were saying about, you know, making a, a short video. Uh, and then, you know, once um, people go back to conferences and stuff, say, hey, remember me? I, I'm the guy that did that that video for you. And, you know, that at least kind of, you know, you talk about that dating aspect. Hey, at least I'm that's the icebreaker. And now I'm willing to have a, a couple minute conversation with you. And you can start to tell me a little bit about, who you are as an individual and how, you know, you're going to be committed to, to servicing the business if given an opportunity. Maybe that's one way to do it. Kevin, would you agree with us when you're looking at like a sales video like that, especially a freight brokerage, are you looking more to see if the, uh, the person would annoy you if you talk to them? Like, ah, I could see myself talking to this person versus like anything they're really pitching. Cause I kind of do like, I get my own bias from watching the video. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think I could deal with this person. Yeah, it, you know, very whether much- it's video or an email or a phone call, you, you're always sizing up. And if you can't work with the person, then then it, it, it's all relationship based. So you know, you can't be a consultant to somebody who doesn't like you, right? And you can't be a consultant to somebody that that you don't really like because you're not going to learn everything inside and outside the business. I, I have a final question here for Paul, uh, and it, it goes back to 
you were a shipper for 12 years. Now you're with Emerge. How's your point of view changed since you've uh, crossed over to the dark side? <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's, I don't know if it's quite all the way over to the dark side. It's somewhere in the middle. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I developed a lot of unique techniques when it came to the procurement process. And um, that worked extremely well. Um, and I, I kind of thought that I'd be able to come over um, and work with other shippers and say, Hey, I've, I've, here's some things I've done that have worked really well. Um, you may want to consider that as you're, as you're developing your next bid process. And I think just being really, I kind of surprised at the lack of how, how receptive people are to new ideas. Um, it, it seems as though just so many people are set in the way that they do things, um, and not as interested in, in developing new techniques or trying new things. And so I thought that was going to be much easier figuring Hey, I speak the shipper language, right? I come from your side of the table and um, be able to connect with them in that way. And that, you know, they'd be more receptive, but that's certainly been an uphill battle. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep plugging away and eventually, we're, you know, we deliver results and, and hopefully people will start to listen. Paul, awesome stuff. Awesome stuff, man. How do people reach out to you and, uh, and, and you know, connect and all that kind of stuff? Uh, well, yeah, awesome. You guys tagging me on LinkedIn. So, um, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, or you can uh, send me an email. I've got my uh, e- email contact on the emergemarket.com website, and you can find me there. Happy to talk shop with anybody that's willing to listen. Thank you very much, Paul. We appreciate your time Thank today. You, Paul. you know, it, it's it's interesting what he said there, and, and I kind of think to like the hiring process too, and how many people come in for interviews, and it's it's almost like sales, right? But you're they're trying to sell themselves. They come in, they they don't know what your company is, what you do. You know, they just showed up. You're surprised they were able to even even find the place on Google Maps. That's what a lot of salespeople are like, and the reason why is because all of this yeah. stuff takes work. Anybody tells you there's some magic bullet or some magic line, they are full of. Both of those. They're full of it, man, because all of this stuff takes work. What did he just tell you? What do we always tell you? You've got to do the research. In order to have empathy, you have to understand. And understanding takes time. Understanding takes time to understand yourself and your customers. Get to work on it, you know? And and the reason why, here's the biggest motivator, Kevin. Here's your biggest motivator. Most people won't do it. Most people won't. So you go to the gym of the mind. You go to the gym of sales, and you are going to kick their ass. You will. You will. It's a great analogy looking for a job because how many jobs have you gone to? How many interviews have you gone to, Turner? I, I've done the same. You sit down. They're like, why do you want to work for us? And, <laughs> and, and my reply is, I need money. Yeah. I need a job. Not I really don't really sure. care. I don't really care about your company or anything. It never goes well, right? It's, it's going to be a bad job if you get it. And it might be a good job, but you're never going to get it because of that answer. So it's, it's a great analogy. It's the same thing with sales. You sit down in front of your prospect and and they're like, uh, you have no, no advice to give them. You have nothing to say. You're just like, I, I need sales. Yeah. I, I need sales. And that's 90% of salespeople. That's how they operate day in and day out forever. Yeah. Here's a template. I don't know anything about you. Here's, here's a template. I just changed the name on it. it. It's nothing personalized, nothing about your industry. I sent it out of my AI-based email software with the drip tree on it. Good luck to you. Good luck to you and the Red Sox. Do some research. Kevin, let's do some shout outs and give away a book. 
<laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. All right. A few comments here. Jerry Ben Israel. He said, should be a great session. Benjamin Kowalski, you heard from him at the beginning, said, putting yourself in the customer's shoes yeah. is the best advice I've ever received. Most reps only think about their objectives. Can't wait to hear the full episode. I don't think you'll be that surprised, Benjamin. A lot of that has to do with putting in the work, and I think you're a guy who understands that. Josh Haskins says, big yeah. hype. Kesha says, great topic. Very much looking forward to the show. John, Joe Don says, uh, uh, looking forward to it. Chris Richards. Excited to tune in. Catherine Whitehouse is in the comments here. She said, I uh, can't wait for this one. KC3, this is interesting. I'll be there. Amanda Miller, I love this. Looking forward to it. Bobby Boosie, I will be tuning in to soak up the knowledge. Uh, Mr. Ramos says, I do a lot of research about everyone I am looking to work for. I bet you do. And Jason Dockney says, classify the data. Is it good or bad or good enough? Share your assessment of the data with the client. Honest about you, what you've shared. Factual statements. Build the solution. Analyze it. And will it produce mutual value? If yes, implement. So I guess that's a little bit of his process. And Peter Milne says some brokers belong and attend uh, Chamber of Commerce meetings. Sure they do. Oh, and Cody says uh, your lighting. Cody says uh, your lighting looks great, Kevin. He's talking about your video. On your video. He said your lighting looks great. I imagine that Cody had done that for you. He did, yes. Okay, he, he did. He he moved around the lights and made it look fantastic as he always does on on all of our great shows. What's the book? The book is Power Questions, 337 Power Questions. Read this book. Always have a question to ask. Take control of the sales conversation by saying nothing. Just listening, asking questions and listening. Take control. Make more sales. none other than nathan fraser i think he was a former guest on the show one of the earlier episodes he was i think like the the second or third guest that we had he's over here in chattanooga chattanooga tennessee chattanooga get chattanooga, keeping it moving tennessee. hey we got freightonomics coming up today that'll be on at two o'clock uh as we mentioned at the beginning mm-hmm. what the truck newsletter is out now comes out uh tuesday evenings you can subscribe to that we'll put a link in the show notes to get you lifted off with that one. You go back yesterday, you can listen to great quarter guys, Kevin Hill and Andrew Cox did that one. Subscribe to Freightcast, get every single Freight Waves podcast, or just look up, put that coffee down. We're on every audio player. Download the Freight Waves TV app, and you can watch this beautiful little show. Everything's free, right? Live, free, virtually. Got a ton of virtual events coming out there. Oh, on Twitter, free. at Timothy. On Twitter, at Timothy Duna. That's D-O-O-N-E-R, or on LinkedIn. You got Kevin Hill, Kevin Hill CL on the Twitter. Kevin Hill, Freight Waves. Just look up Kevin Hill Freight Waves on LinkedIn. He'll be the Kevin Hill you see. <laughs> it is, yes. I, I, I didn't hear you, Dinner. Sorry. Oh, I, I was telling you that uh, you're, you're on LinkedIn. 